Seven Figures Nation. This is the Seven Figures Club podcast where we bring in guests and experts who help you get the roadmap to seven figures to join the five to seven percent of business owners who generate a million dollars a year in sales. And today's guest is Dr. Jared Sinclair. And Dr. Sinclair is uh, someone who's going to be able to provide a lot of value and certainly a lot of insight in terms of how you can create organizations of success and teamwork and cultures that are going to promote promote growth, which is what we're all looking for in our business. So let's uh, get into this. So Dr. Jared Sinclair founded and leads Sinclair Performance Institute. It's an advisory firm providing performance improvement, organizational development, and capacity building for clients in the public, private government, dental, and nonprofit sectors. I know we've got a lot of a lot of doctors, dentists, and chiropractors listening to the podcast. You're going to want to take some notes here. He's got over 25 years of experience leading and advising teams. Dr. Sinclair also holds a doctorate in organizational change and leadership and an MBA in financial management. He is a U.S. Marine Corps combat veteran. Thank you for serving, Dr. Sinclair. And he has led specialized operational teams involved in intelligence collections, uh, vice narcotics hostage negotiations and internal affairs investigations. Additionally, he has advised and provided specialized training to teams and organizations around the globe as a capacity building subject master. And we're going to talk a lot today about his performance, DDS, of which he is also the co-founder of, and dive into his SMAC, S-M-A-C-K philosophy. So Dr. Sinclair, excited to have you on the show. How's it going today? There are over 32 million businesses in the U.S. and over 90% of them will never break seven figures in annual sales. So how do we as entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs break into that seven figures club? This podcast will relentlessly share the secrets, strategies, and tactics I've used to create three multi-seven figures businesses and bring in even more successful entrepreneurs than me to share their inspirational stories and tactics to success. You can create your dream business in life right now. So buckle up and let's go. It's going good, Leo. Thanks for having me. It's a mixed bag, right? But hopefully we can get into some of those details there and, and talk a little bit about what got me to where I was. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to dive in. Yeah, absolutely. And we always like to begin these podcasts by just learning a little bit more about your background. What led you? I mean, you you served in our military and you've done a lot of impressive things, but what led you eventually to go towards a path of entrepreneurship, starting something? And and what was that path uh, like? Were there some key events maybe in your childhood or as, as you jo- you know joined the military that made you think, you know what, I want to go this independent route versus you know maybe necessarily just working in an organization? You actually run an organization. Sure, yeah. So uh, growing up, I've never been that that kid that was ever really settled. You know, I lived a lot on my bike and I was just out like exploring and building jumps and doing all kinds of the cool stuff like that. Out of high school, I joined the Marine Corps. Uh, I, I quickly got to the point where it kind of wasn't enough. You know, I saw the world. I did 10 years in the Marine Corps and I continually was pushing myself both in education, volunteering to, to go on deployments, to take on uh, assignments wow. to do things of that nature. I just never had been settled. So after that, I kind of got out in 2008. The, the economy wasn't looking too good. I took a natural transition oh. into law enforcement uh, of all places. 
was very successful within a relatively short period of time. Again, I got to that point where I had outgrown my position. There wasn't much opportunity there, so I went back to grad school. I uh, got accepted to USC, uh, went to their doctoral program in organizational change and leadership. And during that time, I started doing consulting for nonprofit organizations because I knew there was a gap there between my government experience and experience in the private sector. So I knew I had to close that gap. I started offering pro bono consulting solutions and advisory um, services to nonprofit organizations. And from there, I really honed my, my experience and brought everything kind of funneled together to provide these capacity building services to the clients that I now serve. Outstanding. Well, amazing experiences there. I'm curious with all of your military experiences. I mean, you said you were deployed and you're working in very high stress, high focus situations that are literally life and death. What were some of the tactics or organizational um, strategies that you found worked really well in those military settings that also translated into being very functional and, and successful within business organizations? Sure. Yeah. So that those experiences really gave me the opportunity to hone those, uh, I would say, meaning-making skills. In light of chaos and all this stuff going on around you, all these data points of information coming in, um, having to maintain and manage your own emotional state, um, being aware of still what's going on beyond you know maybe your immediate uh, field of view or what's going on in front of you. Being able to expand that, take all that information and bring calm to it and be able to make decisions despite all of this chaos. It's really kind of a stress inoculation, if you will. And I've experienced the very same thing when, when we go into businesses now where we see this kind of chaos going around. They don't know why things are happening the way that they're happening. But being able to decipher those threads of commonality and to address those threads and get to kind of the root cause it really played into to our ability and my ability specifically to do that. So finding clarity in that chaos, those skills were really refined in the professions that I've had leading up to the point where I'm at today. And that's exactly, you know, what businesses see, you know, we, we serve a lot of businesses and small business owners with uh, business finance options. And over the last, I'd say maybe six to 12 months, there's a sense among entrepreneurs and business owners and leaders out there that there's never been more uncertainty out there mm -hmm. in the marketplace. And so one of the keys that these leaders need to be able to do is, is prioritize. And I know that's something that you talk about a lot. If you're a leader and you're trying to figure out, well, where can the company build, grow? What is it the organization needs to get to that capacity building success strategy? And a lot of that comes down to how you prioritize. So what are some of those tactics or strategies that leaders can be looking at to understand where the priorities should be? Because when there's a lot of chaos, we can't do everything, sure. but we can do some things and prioritizing what you do next is super important. Absolutely. I think the most fundamental thing that any organization or team can focus on is the motivation because mm -hmm. motivation plays into all these additional aspects of human performance, organizational performance. And what I like to look at is a philosophy that I call SMAC. I've focused on the philosophy, not only in my doctoral studies, but I apply it to businesses. So the SMAC is an acronym. SMAC, the S is for systems. The M is for motivation. The A is for accountabilities. The C is for communication. And the K is for knowledge. 
So when you have when you talk about motivation, motivation can be hampered by too much operational, uh, not enough operational capacity, but too much operational demand. Motivation can be hampered by the expectation for a business unit or an individual to do a certain task, but they don't have the knowledge that K in order to accomplish that task. Motivation might be affected by the way that the system or accountabilities are set up in an organization where the system uh, isn't set up in such a way to allow people to operate at their maximum or teams to operate at their maximum potential. It might be a policy issue, an economic issue, a funding issue, whatever the case may be. So all of these factors play into motivation on the individual and team level. And that's why we like to overlay this smack philosophy on it, because you can kind of tear apart what are those contributing factors that are affecting that motivational orientation for that team or for that individual? Mm, motivation is key. And so when I think about motivation, I think about almost kind of defining that why. And if you're the, the leader of a team, you're trying to find out what are the things that motivate people and everybody has different motivations. So what are some of the activities that you found to be successful to kind of find out because sometimes people don't actually even know what motivates them until they actually are in a situation where they have to define well, why am i here what am why am i motivated to even be on this team or to work at this company or at this business so are there any activities or or tactics you found that hey that this is what you can do to really get your team member to kind of understand their motivation and why they want to be you know helping the 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 group as a whole Mm-hmm. So how what what does that look like? Sure. So I've seen a lot of leaders or managers specifically, you know, in that management space where they can they they interact with their folks. This this these individuals might be very good at what they do. And that that helps with motivation because it's just kind of the ease of doing it. But it doesn't necessarily mean they like it. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to continue to be able to do that into the future. I've also seen where people that are very good at what they do get promoted to higher levels of leadership. And they're not equipped to lead. However, they were good operationally at doing those things that they were supposed to be doing. So I think what it comes down to, and although we like to talk a lot about focusing on the individual, what it really comes down to is what the organization needs. The whole reason we're in business is to make money and to be successful. And we need to figure out all those underlying issues that help us to do that. So ensuring that the people are playing to their strengths, I think that's a big piece. You know, what do people like? What are they good at? It's that whole concept of what do you like? What are you good at? How can you make money, right? Mm -hmm. So within our own organizations, if we can put people into those contexts and those positions and bring alignment there, then we're positioned well to ensure that that happens on the individual level. Um, Oftentimes, it's a misalignment between motivation, knowledge, and sometimes systems that affects that performance in individuals and teams. So making sure that everything's, you know, right person, right bus, right seat, that whole kind of analogy. Absolutely. A little reference there to from yeah. good to great with Jim Collins. You get the right people on the bus and the right seats. The bus can turn around, go different directions. But if you got the wrong people on the bus, then you're in trouble. You got to get the right people on the bus. And when you have the right people on the bus, there is a a sense of accountability where people hold themselves accountable, leaders hold teams accountable, and I feel like in today's and you know world that's a big struggle. I, I feel like more than ever this account. Oh, don't say accountability. Oh no, it's a bad word. That's a terrible yeah. word. And and so how 
how are organizations, especially maybe a young among uh, younger generations, where the way they've been raised is not necessarily all about accountability? How mm-hmm. do you you know build that culture of accountability within uh, workforces and organizations? By doing it, and you know it's a it's an easy answer, but it's incredibly complex. Getting back to motivation. Folks will show up to work. You know, you have those routine people that will show up to work on time. Because that's one of the big things facing organizations right now is how do I get my people to actually come to work? They will show up to work, uh, you know, when they're motivated to do so. Sometimes that motivation comes extrinsically and sometimes it comes intrinsically. Well, through accountability, we can take that extrinsic motivation or that externalized uh, orientation towards motivation and bring it into a point where now it's automated. You have your, your um, you know, some of your older generations that they show up because they feel a sense of obligation and duty and responsibility to do so, where the younger generations haven't had that accountability in their life. By providing that framework and providing consequences, positive or negative, to get people to come into work through that external pressure, eventually those folks can be motivated to a point where now they're doing it automatically. So it's a process. It's a system, right? That's why my S is in that philosophy. It's a system to pull all these things together, um, pulling that extrinsic motivation into that intrinsic side where now people are doing things for the sake of doing it because they see value. They have expectations about doing it. Um, and it's more internal to the person and not external. Mm. So how important is it for organizations and leaders to have a well-defined mission? It seems like anytime you're dealing with an organization where, hey, there's a mission and everybody knows what it is and they feel like it's it's a higher calling than just making money and just having a job. So how how important is it to uh, define that mission and maybe even have some core values around, hey, these, this is what we stand for. This is what we do when faced with tough decisions. Sure. I think it's very important because in the absence of information, people are going to make their own stories. They're going to do the things that they think are the best things to do. So it's important to have that information there. And if that information comes in the form of a mission or a vision statement, they have something to always go back to in absence of information where they don't know what next step they should take. If they take a step and they're empowered to do so in alignment with that mission or that vision or those values, then nine times out of 10, they're going to land on their feet and it's going to be a decent decision. So I would recommend if you don't have a mission or values or a vision, you do it. If you don't have any of those, that's fine. You could use some type of metaphor analogy like the TP, like WD-40 did in their lobby, right? Where they have this whole sense of tribe and group. Um, So it doesn't necessarily need to be words. It can be imagery that also conveys that meaning. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that that you're really good at helping organizations with is when you have like a big change, you know, you think of some of the uh, change and disruption that's happened uh, in the tech industry over the last 18 months, where a lot of uh, tech companies were spending, 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 they weren't profitable, and they've really had to pull some of those things back and make massive organizational changes. And another example that kind of brings, uh, that comes to mind is, is Twitter, you know, now known as X.com and how Elon Musk instituted organizational changes. I'm curious, what do you think about how they implemented these changes? And maybe what would you have, what did you like about some of the things they did? And maybe what would you have maybe done different or recommended, you know, they have done different as they went through that massive change that they did? Sure. So uh, keeping in mind that I don't have access to those 
super uh, intricate or detailed um, dynamics of this change movement. What I can say is that change typically occurs on various paces. You can have slow incremental change because the reality of it is you have three stages in any change environment. You have the unfreezing, right? You were where the organization starts to move. Then you have this new kind of settling where these new efforts or this new alignment or this new structures injected. And then you have this kind of refreezing that happens. So the organization is then solidified in that new change. That can be very abrupt. Like when you look at some of these turnaround CEOs, and I would equate Musk to that type of person where he's coming into an organization. He doesn't necessarily like the way that it's going. He thinks it's going to be more uh, valuable to go a different direction. And that change needs to happen acutely, like very quickly. Um, And with that, you are accepting of those casualties, right? Because there's going to be casualties. Um, It's almost intentional that there are casualties. And then on the other side of the the coin, you might have these change initiatives that last 10 years, right? Um, You can see it in a different light. And I use the case study of either Xerox or Ford, right? Going back in the day where they failed to change. And over years, that failure of change led to their their significant challenges Mm -hmm. or demise, right? So on that same token, organizations can change on a very slow, methodical pace, or they can change very acutely and chronically like Twitter did to X. Interesting. So uh, at our at our organization, Seven Figures Funding, in September, we decided to make a change where a lot of our strategic partners, business coaches, consultants would send in clients for financing. We kind of had a two-step process where an advisor would, hey, here, present their options, and then they would kind of uh, give them the green light, and then they would be transferred over to a funding manager maybe a few days later to actually get the loans or the lines of credit. And what we found was it was just a, too slow of a process. And it needed to be changed. And so we eliminated the funding manager position and put it all together as a funding advisor to be able to move much quicker on that very first call. Mm-hmm. And so in in, or, in terms of implementing those changes, we said, all right, we're not going to do it right away. We need to train everybody on how this change is going to work. And so we started doing a couple of in-office and Zoom trainings for the entire month of September, probably six to eight different trainings. And then we implemented it uh, on October 2nd and and continue to have training about it. And it seems like it's working pretty well. We're seeing better results. And so I, I think what you're saying is right. It's all about the pace. And if you're going to make a big change, then there needs to be information, there needs to be training and probably some time to make that transition and that change. And so I think what you're saying with the SMAC framework uh, really, you know, really brings that to light and, and proves exactly what you're saying uh, in terms of a, a case study. Um, in terms of leaders, right, where everybody listening to this podcast, most are running sales teams or they're founders or entrepreneurs, small business owners, and they're the leaders in their organizations. And there are certain you know, there's a lot of books out there about leadership, their key qualities, attributes. What for you as somebody who's been in life and death situations and led, you know, men and women in military battles, and now you're doing it for organizations across the country, what are some of the common traits that you see among successful and influential leaders? I would say there's two. Um, it's going to be stoicism. And confident humility. I like that. The ability, because oftentimes we look at humility as being weak or meek, 
or less than or kind of um, laid back. Humility is knowing exactly what you are and are not capable of. And when you're confident in that, you can operate and live right now. Despite what's going on around you, you know what your capabilities are. You know who to go to. Uh, you know when to ask for help. You know when to say I'm wrong or I didn't know what to do or I need help. Can somebody help me? And I think with that, with that stoicism, that kind of unemotional, I wouldn't say unemotional because it's very emotional, but that detachment, if you will, especially when you're managing an organization, it allows you to think clearly. And with that, you engage people differently and people will trust you when you're, when you're like that, because you're going to be steady. You're going to be warm. You're going to be matter of fact. You're not going to be arrogant. Um, you're confident, you're humble and you're level-headed. I love that. So stoicism, not too high, not too low, very calm during the storm, mm-hmm. methodical moving forward, and then a confident humility. And whenever I think of like a confident, hu- humble type leader who is super confident, but at the same time, like it's not their way or the highway, they're asking a lot of questions, right? They're building mm-hmm. teams and it's not them making just one-sided decisions. It's asking for the people who are the experts, the smartest people in the room to give them great insights and then make a good decision. And for me also a confident, humble leader is also kind of a servant leader. Like how can I serve these people? How can I bring value? And I think they make it less about themselves and more about how they can serve their team. And so I absolutely agree. Those are two top qualities and attributes that I think that we see among the best best leaders out there. And and Dr. Sinclair, at this point, I think a lot of the audience is like, wow, this is what I need to be able to implement in my business, in my organization. And they're wondering, what is the next step? The one thing they can take today to move towards that. Maybe it's uh, connecting up with uh, your organization or some information that you have for them. What's the next step that they can take today to start being better leaders implementing change because in today's world if you don't change and pivot quickly you'll probably be out of business as a as a business owner and a business leader and so what's the what's the next step they can take today yeah so i would say just pause and reflect reflect on where you're at and where you want to go oftentimes we're moving so fast especially in today's society where we're going from one thing to the next and we're pushing really hard to get to that next goal so just pause and make sure that your your plan, if you don't have one, create one, but make sure your plan is in alignment with where you are, fill in all those gaps to go to where you want to be. Um, and you know, if I can do a shameless plug, you can find Please. me at Sinclair, SinclairPerformance.com. I'm happy to to connect with you there. You can you can send me an email directly, Jared at SinclairPerformance.com. If you're in the dental space, uh, you can connect with me and my my partner at performancedds.com. Also, it's Jared at performancedds.com. And we're happy to sit down and do a no obligation consultation with anybody. Um, We're just normal people trying to help other businesses out. So um, if you don't have a plan, pause, make sure you have a plan and start working towards that goal. All right, everybody. This is not a passive podcast. This is an action-taking podcast. For you to take the next step, join the Seven Figures Club, hopefully the Eight Figures Club in the future. So make sure you go to SinclairPerformance.com, learn more about these strategies and tactics that great leaders are implementing to create very successful businesses with teams and cultures that are on the same page. And I'll just second exactly what you just said, Dr. Sinclair. 
taking that break, pausing is so important. So one thing I've started doing, I did this yesterday, uh, is I'll just, you know, walk outside my office, outside the buildings, and I'll walk around a few buildings and track maybe uh, three quarters of a mile, a mile, and, and 15, 25 minutes of, of, you know, clearing my head. And it's amazing some of the solutions that will come to you when you can pause and and think clearly and and even just walk outside of nature for a little bit. So I definitely second that. It's a powerful thing to do. But again, everybody, make sure you go to SinclairPerformance.com and then mention the website again for those who are in the dental space. It's PerformanceDDS.com. Got it. PerformanceDDS.com. Perfect. Well, Dr. Sinclair, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. I learned a lot. And I know the audience did too, but most importantly, everybody, I want you to be able to take some notes, rewind some of this if you need to, and go to SinclairPerformance.com so that you can start working towards an organization that thrives because as a business owner, it can't be you trying to do everything. You've got to do it with a great team and leadership and these organizational strategies are what are going to make all the difference. Dr. Sinclair, thanks so much for being a guest. Leo, thank you. I appreciate our time together. Are you looking for more seven-figure secrets, content, or even how you can launch your own recession-proof business? Then check out sevenfigures.com. That's the digit seven, F-I-G-U-R-E-S.com, where we share more videos, stories, strategies, funding solutions, entrepreneurial education, and even the secret business type that's recession-proof. Thank you for listening, and if you're finding value in our podcast, please give us a five-star and invite others to join the club.